The Start On Demand. On demand. It is election day in the United States. We'll speak to two Winnipeggers now living in the U.S., one in Florida, one in Colorado. The province is now asking entire households to stay home if someone is symptomatic or awaiting COVID test results. But what happens if you don't have sick time? And a Moose Jaw man has been fined $2,800 for hosting a Halloween party and has launched a GoFundMe page because he can't afford it. That led to the question... What things have you done that were irresponsible, whether you knew it or not? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who is away today, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, November 3rd podcast for The Start. Yeah, we've been saying this for a while now, for a couple months, about the idea that we want to step up enforcement. I think it was just two weeks ago, maybe, that they introduced those stiffer penalties. But again, who are the people that are supposed to be going around handing out that ticket? And man, what a job that is. No kidding. No kidding. And, <laughs> and the fact that they've only handed out three tickets, which he said is unacceptable. It's not going to, you can, you can come out and, and talk the talk, but if you're not going to walk the walk, then people are very go- quickly going to, well, he used an, an analogy, which I had actually been thinking of. So I'm glad he verbalized it. He said, you know, most people behave themselves when they're behind the wheel because they know that they could get pulled over at any moment by a police officer for breaking the law. But if when it comes to COVID and doing things that you shouldn't be doing, if there's no, if there three tickets are being handed out and there's no real threat of getting caught, then people are going to do dumb things. So I like the idea. I'm looking forward to the details that he's talking about announcing later this week, as well as uh, this curfew situation. Is it going to be martial law in Manitoba, Loren? Yeah, so the curfew's on the table, stepped-up enforcement's on the table. I, I don't know, Brad, do we honestly feel, if, if there are people out there who are the ones who are still having the parties and having the gatherings, and we think that's such a big deal, are they the people that actually care about a ticket? Because, yes, yeah, sure, I think most of us think, I should put my phone down, I might get a ticket. We might not be thinking safety, but we're thinking maybe the fine. But if you're the person who doesn't care about your safety and doesn't care about the safety of others and is having that party, do you are you even thinking about that fine anyway or the fact that you're not supposed to be out, say, past 10 p.m. or 11 p.m.? I don't know. Well, as far as the question of the day goes at cjob.com, we did ask the question, do you think the province should make a curfew mandatory for areas in Code Red? And at cjob.com, we had 61% who said no uh, whereas 39% said yes, and we saw very, I mean, there were various polls. Uh, Global's Brittany Greenside posted a poll on Twitter that got tons of action on that. We asked the question as well on our 680CJOB Instagram, and I'm just pulling that up. And it was about 2 to 1 in favor of yes to no there. So feel free to weigh in. That's still the question of the day at CJOB.com, but we're going to get a new question up for you soon. And by the way, just on the subject of doing dumb things during COVID and having parties, etc., at 645, here's the headline at globalnews.ca. Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan man, fundraising to pay off $2,800 fine because he hosted a party 
with more than 15 people. Apparently there were up to, according to some accounts, 250 people at this party. So he's been fined 2800 bucks, and now he's launched a GoFundMe page because he's got a part-time job and he can't uh, afford the ticket. He's already raised $455, Loren. Well, everybody at that party should be paying in. But I, the GoFundMe for people's stupidity is I can't even. There's so many worthwhile causes on GoFundMe. There's baby, babies who need... Uh, stem cell transfers there's kids who need help there's people who've lost their homes in fires this idiot can take his gofundme and he and his friends can shove it and (laughs) and by the way we haven't forgotten it's kind of a big day in the united states is it ever i i have to say i woke up this morning and that was my first thought which is so bizarre because the first thought so many days have been you know what's the latest on the covid or maybe there's a few other big stories that have pop up and this date has been on the calendar Obviously, with a set election date, the first Tuesday of every November, every fourth November, sorry, every four years, is, of course, the American election. They go to the polls. Will we even know today the results? Doesn't sound like it, but I'd love to know what people are thinking in terms of who they think is going to finally take this. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is away. Milroy, by the way, producer Kyle in for Jeff Fortier today. Good morning to you, Kyle. Hey, Brett. Uh, Loren, what do we have coming up after 7 o'clock? Well, we want to ask Manitobans what they have for policy when it comes to sick time. Do you have several days you can use? Three, five, ten. Do you have any sick time leave at all? And we want to ask that question because Dr. Brent Rusin yesterday uh, asked Manitobans to change how they've been behaving when it comes to anyone in their household getting sick. Now he wants you to consider if someone in your home, roommate, spouse, child, has COVID-like symptoms and is awaiting a test result, well, you all have to stay home now. That's what he's encouraging folks to do. How prepared are you for that? We'll chat after seven. And I confess, I didn't even know what our six-day policy was here because I'm one of those stubborn guys who refused to stay home when I was sick. I think I've called in sick twice since I started working here back in 2004. It was you who told me. How many sick days do we have? I think we have 10. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> well, now that you've put me on spot on air, yeah, we have 20. You got 20, Brett. Six months. Yeah, so hopefully I won't have to use them anytime soon, but obviously my attitude is going to have to change the next time I come down with something. Also, before we move on here, I just need to point this out. I want to say thank you to Robert for putting this on my radar. He texted yesterday morning, and I missed it. He followed up this morning. Hey, Brett, I'm just wondering if you got my text about the new cereal Elf on the Shelf. And I, so, of course, I had to Google it. And indeed, Kellogg's has an Elf on the Shelf sugar cookie cereal with marshmallows this red and green holiday cereal features magical stars marshmallows and plenty of sugar cookie flavor it's the official cereal of the north pole apparently but uh says who it says kellogg's i guess (laughs) but uh it doesn't look like it's available so if you have seen this out in the wild somewhere let me know because i would very much like to try that because i'm all about healthy eating in the meantime There are probably, I would imagine, going to be a few people on the couch tonight doing some unhealthy eating because, hey, for especially for somebody like Greg Mackling, this is like he comes in every day and talks about the American political situation. He loves this stuff. So I'm sure he's excited about the fact that it is Election Day in the United States. Yeah, and let's be clear. I think there's a lot of Canadians who are 
you're either excited or you're nervous or you're worried. It depends on where you land on this. I was at the dentist yesterday and it was the number one thing the hygienist and the dentist were talking about was what they think might happen today, how this will go, how it will shape things going forward and what we'll see when it comes to the results tonight or if we'll even get those results. And so at 9.30, we're going to speak to a former Winnipegger who is living in Colorado. And then after 8, of course, we'll check in with our Washington correspondent just to see the lay of the land there. But right now we want to head to Florida. Jason Merrick uh, is a former Winnipegger. He actually spent 18 years in Winnipeg before heading back to the U.S. And he joins us from Florida now. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. How are you today? We're well, thank you. Sorry. And, and whereabouts in Florida are you? Right now, I'm actually in Boca Raton, Florida. Okay. So I, yes. you've probably been asked this so many times by your Canadian friends over the past few months and maybe even years as we lead up to this date. But how are you feeling? Is it excitement, nervousness, happy the day is finally here and hopefully over with soon? Well, I definitely think it's a mix. Um, uh, mild anxiety would be a good, uh, a good assessment of it. But uh, excited that the day is here and, uh, you know, uh, the sun will rise, the sun will set, and um, we'll move on from here. Um, you know, I'm not sure that we'll have a result today. Uh, that's not unprecedented, you know, uh, unfortunately with U.S. elections, you know, back in the year 2000 when uh, Gore was running against Bush. Uh, the very county that I'm in right now, Palm Beach County, basically decided the election, but I, I don't think it was for three or four weeks till after the election was over. So, um, you know, it might be a few days, might be a couple of weeks, uh, but glad to, to be able to move on after today. So, And sorry, did you cast your ballot in advance or do you still have to get out and vote? I did. I casted my ballot. My wife and I got mail-in ballots. Uh, we completed them and um, I didn't actually put them through the U.S. Postal Service. I actually took them to the voting, uh, the voting area in our community in Parkland and deposited them into the box there, the voting box there, so. Why did you feel compelled to do it that way? I don't. I don't suppose it's a commentary on the postal system. Is it? Is it about just wanting to make sure you're physically handing those important votes over? It's a slight commentary on the postal <laughs> system. I mean, I don't necessarily trust it a hundred percent. So um, you know, sometimes you know, uh, mail doesn't arrive when it should, and I just wanted to make sure it got to the proper place. So, so you spent eighteen years in uh, Winnipeg. What are your friends, Canadian friends in particular, asking you? Like, what what kind of questions are they asking you about this specific election? Um, a lot of people, uh, the, the biggest question that they're really asking is, you know, why would somebody vote for Trump? Uh, and I got those questions a lot, too, back in 2016, uh, because I was up there for uh, Garden City Collegiate Reunion in or around that time. Uh, I think. Uh, and I got the same questions back then. Uh, people can't seem to wrap their hands on why somebody would vote for, you know, a guy like Donald Trump. So uh, that's, you know, predominantly the question that I'm getting from, from, from most people up in Canada. And does that differ from conversations that you have with friends in, in Florida? I mean, I, I'm curious how you even answer that, first of all, to Canadians, because it might just depend on how you land with your politics. But then, it might be a different conversation that takes place where you are now, Jason. Correct. It's interesting. I have, you know, uh, a vast mix of friends down here, and um, I would probably say a good majority of them voted for Trump. Um, and a good majority of them voted for Trump 
probably just based on, you know, Republican policies, uh, you know, taxes and, and the way the government's run. Um, Canadians don't seem to, you know, connect with that. Uh, and uh, or most Canadians don't seem to connect with that. Um, you know, and the reality is, uh, you know, I see both points of view. So when somebody comes and tells me that, you know, Donald Trump's not a moralistic person and how can you vote for something like that? I, I can't disagree with that. You know, um, you know, narcissistic, sociopath, whatever you choose to call him. I can't disagree with those comments. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I voted uh, for the person who I think is uh, going to carry the country forward in the best manner. Um, and uh, who, who I think is going to carry the country forward in the best manner. And, you know, um, that's, that's basically the way I explain things to people. But it's just very interesting because up there uh, or up in Canada, it seems to be, um, you know, literally all of my friends, you know, up there. How could anybody vote for Donald Trump? That, that, that's really the main question. Jason Merrick spent 18 years in Winnipeg before moving to Florida. Just to recap, Jason, sorry, are you originally from Florida and you came up here? No, actually, I lived, I was born and raised in Winnipeg. Uh, you know, great childhood up there. Wouldn't change, uh, wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, you know, I met Greg Mackling, so, you know, that was the <laughs> highlight of my childhood. Uh, I actually moved away for eight years uh, to go to school in Montreal and then, uh, Right around the time of the referendum in 95, um, I was like, uh, you know, this is it. I can't, you know, take it anymore. That was when Quebec was voting to separate from Canada. So I left about a year later, a year mm. after that. I just packed my bags and moved. So you had mild anxiety, perhaps, for the Canadian situation. And now that you're in the U.S. and, and you mentioned earlier you woke up this morning feeling some mild anxiety. anxiety. Why is that? Like, what's, what's the reason behind that emotion? I think any time when you feel passionate about something, um, you know, if you're not, you know, whether it's school, whether it's your job, like I have major anxiety when my tax returns are due. Uh, so this is mild anxiety. So it's nothing compared to it. But uh, anytime you feel passionate about something uh, or mildly passionate about something, I think you're going to, you know, feel the, the butterflies in your stomach a little bit. So, um, uh, you know, like I said, I'm just I'm looking forward to the end of the day today and the coming weeks just to kind of shore things up and just to kind of move life forward and uh, and get back to whatever normalcy is these days. So who do you think is going to be the next president of the United States, Jason? I, you know, <laughs> let, let, let's put it this way. OK, uh, I, I'm not. Who do I think is going to be? Yes. I, I really can't tell you. I mean, if you're listening to the media and the polls, hands down, it's Biden. I've got a very good friend who's a, uh, you know, a political guy, um, says it's Biden all the way and it's a blue wave. And um, what I do hope for, though, is if the Democrats do win, if Biden does win, that the Senate, um, the Senate stays uh, Republican. So, um, you know, there's three chambers down here is the presidency, the House and the Senate. Uh, all three of them kind of need to agree on almost everything uh, except Supreme Court justices. Uh, and I do hope that if the Democrats do win the election, I do hope the Senate stays Republican because that will keep things uh, in, its equal, in, in its equilibrium. Jason Merrick lives in Florida. I spent 18 years in Winnipeg. Thank you so much for joining us today on this big, big day in the United States. Um, hopefully the anxiety doesn't get to be too much today, but uh, we'll be watching. Thanks, guys. Stay warm. Be well. It's actually 
10, uh, seven, it's six degrees up here, Jason, by the way, before we let you go, it's, we're going up to like, hang on a second here, 15 degrees today, Celsius. That, that's bombing. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy for November for us. So I'm t- I was yeah, trying to figure out what the temperature is there. Yeah, what is the temperature yeah, there? Up, it's uh, right now it's 75 degrees Fahrenheit. So what's that about uh, 19? 18, 19, Sounds somewhere around right. there, 20. We, we can wrap right. this up. Yeah, now, okay, Jason. go away, Jason. All right, thanks, Jason. <laughs> 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 Got to thank our global Winnipeg colleagues, Marnie Blunt and Brittany Greenslade, for uh, putting this on their social media. That's where I first saw it. They were linking to a story out of Global Regina, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan man, fundraising to pay off $2,800 fine for... He had a party on Halloween, an illegal Halloween party on Friday, got busted under the public health order, and he started a GoFundMe page to pay for his ticket. Quote, I have a part-time minimum wage job and already have rent to pay. I can't afford the ticket. I know the consequences of my actions, and I accept the ticket that I got. So far, he's raised $455, if you can believe that, on this. So we're not making light of this particular situation. Don't host a house party right now. Don't be stupid. But we do want to talk about the dumb, irresponsible things we've done. Have you ever done something irresponsible, whether you knew it or not? And this could go back into your childhood. So let's go quickly around the horn here. We've got Jeff Braun, producer Kyle, Kelly Moore. Kelly Moore, why don't we start with you? <laughs> why? Why I, me? I don't know. Because you, you are uh, organized and diligent. You're probably the most responsible person in this group, but I suspect uh, younger Kelly Moore, maybe not so much. Uh, yeah, I, I think I told this story before the, because when I saw the, the subject uh, on the email, I thought, oh, man, like, what have I done stupid in the last little while? My wife could probably think of a hundred <laughs> things, but uh, the, the one that always stands out of my mind that I always regret, though, was in my grad year, uh, some buddies and I decided that we would pick up a couple of uh, dozen beer. We were not drinking, uh, but we were heading out to a remote area to drink. And so um, my buddy, uh, he had been drinking, so I was driving his mom's car. There was another car that was ahead of us, or at least so we thought. So we're on this winding gravel road, and we're trying to catch up to a car that had pulled over to the side of the road and hidden as we went speeding by them. And uh, anyway, I wound up totaling my buddy's mom's car. And we were lucky that we were all still alive. I don't think I would have probably put a GoFundMe page, though, uh, even if it had existed back then, to to try and pay for that. And uh, I spent the whole summer uh, working uh, for the construction company that his dad owned to help pay off the, uh, the the whatever the deductible was. Wow, not good. Not good at all, Kelly. Not good. Producer Kyle. Um, nothing too crazy. I used to have, you know, when my parents would go out when I was in high school, I'd have some parties. They knew about the parties, but one time, uh, the cops were called and they came. And at that point, when I saw the cops, I was like, oh, I'm kind of happy to see you guys actually. Cause there's a, some people I don't know here in my house at this point. So I'm like, okay, cool. Break up the party. That's fine. And I didn't end up telling my parents about the cop thing. But then like a week later, my dad goes, yeah, I ran into some uh, police officers somewhere and they go, oh, yeah, I was at your house last weekend. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> The cop ratted me out. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Braun, what about you? 
Oh, I got too many from high school. I, I'm still too nervous that I'll actually get in trouble now for those <laughs> stories. So I'm going to go back even further to when I was, I think it must have been about 10. I was visiting my cousin uh, at their farm in southern Manitoba. for I, I would spend like a week there every summer hanging out. And my cousin, who was also my age, said to me one day, he's like, you know what? Dad said they're going to put new windows in the barn so they don't need the old windows anymore. And then we proceeded to smash every window in that barn with a slingshot <laughs> and stones. And the dad came in off the field, my uncle, and I've, I've, it's one of the five angriest times I've ever seen a person in my life. That was bad. And, Loren, and it was a, and a barn full of glass. <laughs> Loren, uh, we only got like 30 seconds here. You got something quick? I want to make fun of townies more than anything else. So I can save my story for later because you townies will fall for anything when you come to the farm. <laughs> There are going to be many Manitobans asking their bosses or managers this morning what the protocol is when it comes to sick time. Not just time off when they're feeling ill, but when anyone in their home, partner, child, roommate, is feeling ill, Loren. Yeah, and I think many of us, or at least some of us, at least, Brett, are fortunate enough to have some sick time. It might be three or five or ten days, but others we know do not. And so that's going to be a challenge for those who don't have those days. And then for those that do, you might be allowed to stay home if you're sick, but what are the rules if it's someone else in your family? So right now the test positivity positivity rate in Manitoba. We know it's uh, going up. It's hovering around 9%. It's higher in Winnipeg. And with ICUs near capacity... The push to bring our cases down has become more important than ever before. And so now Dr. Rusin is asking Manitobans, he mentioned this right out of the gates yesterday, to take another step in this fight. And what he's saying is, if anyone in your house is showing symptoms of COVID-19, the entire household must self-isolate. Global's Joe Scarpelli explains. If someone is sick in your household, it's now recommended you stay home whether you have symptoms or not. It's a significant change that Dr. Brent Rusin says will help slow the spread of coronavirus in the community. If uh, a family has a uh, child at home with symptoms of COVID, that entire family is to self-isolate pending results of that test. So it means no one else goes to school, no one goes to work. Uh, until that test result is back. Healthcare workers, first responders, and some other essential workers are exempt. For everyone else, the new rule is expected to increase absenteeism in the workplace. HR expert Barbara Bose says businesses should have been preparing for situations like this. Yes, I do see some um, increased absenteeism, although I think that employers will make every effort possible to have that worker work remotely from home. And I think the other thing is that we have found out it's a heck of a lot easier than we thought. You're also being advised to stay away from everyone you live with during the self-isolation period. This includes having your own bathroom and wearing a mask in common areas. Joel Scarpelli, Global News. So the, the news that your entire household would have to stay home Obviously not a big deal for me because my household consists of me. But Loren, if uh, you, your husband came home, for example, and said, um, I got to get a test, then that means you got to stay home. And I realize you haven't really gone. I guess you have, you're not leaving the house that much anyway, but your kids too, like everybody got to stay home. So what would your reaction to that be? 
Well, the harder part, I think, would be there's a couple things. If you have kids and say they're not well, but you are, or sorry, they're feeling fine, but you're not feeling well. So now the kids have to miss more school. So that's going to be challenging for some people just in the sense of, yes, they're trying to offer remote learning, but that could end up being a whole week, depending on when you go get that test done, you know, in terms of sometimes with delays, we know they're working hard to get results back within 24 hours, or sorry, at least 48 hours, but that's not always the case. There's still stories of three or four day waits. And so therefore, you're all home for three or four days until those results come back, and hopefully they're negative. So my question for me personally would be more about the challenge for kids and keeping them out of school. But then I'm more worried about, yeah, there are a lot of offices that have done really well, Brad, at sending people home. And we're one of them. And kudos to our managers and folks at Course for finding a way to keep many of us at home. But we know we're really fortunate. Like, what about the jobs of people who were in minimum wage situations? You might work at a restaurant or a cafe. I know that the in-room dining is off right now. But uh, there's still, you know, Tim Hortons operations, gas stations, all those types of jobs. I, I don't really know what the sick policy is there. And then if you have to take time off for yourself, and every person in your family who might be going through this, that's really going to add up. And so I, I'm going to guess that's why this is what he's encouraging, not mandating, because if you mandate it, that makes it really hard for some employers and or employees. But the message would be, and we've heard this for for long before the pandemic, is if you are sick, you should be staying home anyway. Now the question becomes, man, my husband isn't well or my kids aren't well. That adds up to a lot of days off. Well, and it, it, it certainly does. It creates this kind of double-edged sword, I think, both for employer and employee. If you're an employer and someone comes in and says, my wife is get waiting for a COVID-19 test result, so I should probably be at home as well. And if it's not a situation where that person can work from home, as you pointed out, uh, there are, there are so, I never imagined a world where almost everyone we work with would be working from home. I never thought it possible. So the fact that they were able to make it happen almost in the blink of an eye, I still find kind of staggering. But uh, it's if it's not a job like that, what is what kind of a position does that put the employer in? And then same for the employee, especially if there's no sick time, if they can't afford it, how do you mm-hmm. make that decision? That's a difficult decision to say. Like it's, That's part of the reason I think why I developed that sort of habit of, well, if I'm sick, I'm just going to go to work, regardless of whether or not I have the sick days. Because once upon a time, when I was a part-time worker, when I counted on an hourly wage and didn't have sick days, I had no choice. If I wanted to get paid, I had to go to work. Yeah. And I think that that's how some people might be feeling this morning. Like, again, it really just depends on your your personal situation. And so we just had a listener now text in to say, working in construction, if I'm not at work, I don't get paid. And so I think the government needs to get the test results out faster because there's no way this person says he and his wife would be able to sit at home for a week at a time. And so again, that's the worst case scenario for test results, but that's kind of what you have to think about and employers need to be thinking about today and employees need to be thinking about because the goal is to stop this now so that we're not, you know, continually calling in sick a year from now for COVID, right? And so I, I get what the point is and I hear what Dr. Roos is, is saying and I think it's an important one, but this is going to be hard for some families. By the way, Robert texted us earlier. I mentioned that Robert was asking if I had seen this Kellogg's Elf on the Shelf cereal. And I just asked, has anybody spotted it? Got a call. At least one listener say they spotted it at Sobeys. And our executive producer, Heather Steele, texted me immediately to say, I saw it at Safeway. <laughs> so I saw it she too. brought you any. Producer Kyle. I saw it uh, at my house. I got it. <laughs> I saw it at my I, house. I, I bought a box of it. <laughs> really? Yeah. And you're just 
chiming in now? Well, we, we just missed it at 637. I was going to chime in, but you moved on, and I uh, I like to save it for now. Yeah. Kyle, are you in tomorrow? I yes, like I am. you're bringing breakfast to Brad. Ugh, I'm not, I don't know if I want to buy it again. <laughs> oh, is it not good? Um, I won't. I'll say I'll leave it to the one-time purchase. I won't say it's not good. Okay. Just, uh, All right. It's worth I, checking out. I am curious to try it out. We are asking you the question at 204-780-6868. Not giving away pizza. I'm sorry. Sometimes we like to entice you by throwing in a pizza. But we're just asking you to share your story if you have one. Something irresponsible that you've done in your life. Whether it was, whether you knew it was irresponsible or you didn't. Like this Moose Jaw guy who uh, hosted a party, Halloween party, with over 15 people. One, at least one account says there were 250 people there. The police were not specific on how many people that were there, but they were specific in saying you got a $2,800 fine. So he's taken to GoFundMe to try to raise some cash to help him pay off that ticket because he can't afford it. So Loren said, you said that you had an irresponsible story to share. Well, it's one of those things about, you know, most of those stories, you learn from them, right? And that's how you go, how you do things going forward. Uh, so our farmhouse was not in the same yard. We had built a new house when I was younger and it wasn't in the same yard near the barn. And so I was 14 and we had these four steers that we were raising for 4-H competitions. And it was my turn to go feed the cattle. And instead of walking over to the yard, which would have taken me like 15 minutes, I jumped in the car. And again, I'm 14. You drive a lot earlier on the farm, I will say that, at least when you're on the farm, maybe not going onto the highway. But I got into the uh, Dodge Diplomat and failed to even look behind me to see if anything was there. And right behind the garage was parked a... Um, bed that had been carrying sod and so I backed right into it and the metal part that would have been attached to a semi at any given time smashed right through the back windshield took off the entire roof and I stopped just inches from my head so that could have killed me and uh, I ran down the lane crying because I knew I was going to be in a lot of trouble (laughs) and eventually I think I hid at the end of the lane for at least a couple hours until I knew my dad came home which by the way he did and he he just yelled at the first child he saw. So my poor brother's been mad at me for that for a while. <laughs> I had to pay for the repairs myself. I came back. The car was covered with a blanket like a like a dead body. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wanted to look at it. So that's bad enough. You would think that because of that incident that honestly could have decapitated me, and that's the part that's not funny, that I would be the person that now opens the garage door and takes a look to see what's behind me. I don't. And I can't tell you... <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times there's been one not near miss. It's actually happened where I gently tap the vehicle behind me. And other than that, I come really close on lots of occasions to the point where just three days ago, my husband said, just so you know, I'm parked behind you. And I looked at him like, am I an idiot? And then he just stared at me and we had like a stare off. So that's a stupid 14 year old thing to do that I sadly have not learned from. Breakfast with the Bombers is what it means. Brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca. A better place for you. Hard to believe, Loren. It's been a year, a year since the Blue Bombers made that impressive run to the playoffs. But it's so worth revisiting, perhaps now more than ever, Brett. And so over the next few weeks here at CGOB, we're going to take a look back on that semifinal win in Calgary, November 10th, the West final victory in Saskatchewan, November 17th of last year. And of course, 
we will definitely pay a lot of attention to that one-year anniversary of the Grey Cup win. And so this morning, we want to look back by welcoming on Blue Bombers defensive back Nick Taylor. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Good morning. How's everything? Well, thank you. Before we get into football, I just have to ask, I think your off-season home was in Florida, if I'm correct. So I'm just curious yeah. what the mood is there on Election Day. Um, you can tell a lot of people a little bit tense, a little anxious. They're, they're waiting for the results, you know, whoever they voted for, or whoever their guy is, you know, they're hoping that they get that win. Um, and then um, after, we'll see what happens in the, um, in the city and the, the states and how people react to it. But right now, we're just all cooling and trying to be as relaxed as possible. So prior to last year, Nick, uh, had you ever won a championship before at any level at and in any sport or maybe a virtual sport, for example? Oh, yeah, definitely. I've been winning my whole life. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like it. <laughs> um, I, won, I won in Ottawa in 2016, my first year in the CFL. Uh, I won a high school championship and won a lot of kids. So I've been winning. So not am that I, new. Am I right the that the – sorry, Nick, go ahead. Go ahead. I said the feeling always feels great no matter what, how many times you win, you, you want to continue to win. So that's that. Yeah, I bet. I, am I right that your win in high school, though, was in basketball? Or am I getting that right? Yeah, no basketball in high school. I played uh, – High school basketball and uh, college basketball. So you didn't actually play football in high school or university. How did that switch come about? My last year playing, I played football from the age of five to like 16, like my sophomore year of high school, my last year playing football. And then uh, I was just focused on basketball. And then uh, my junior year at college, I just decided I wanted to get back to football. I've been wanting to get back, but it was just, I was just so busy with basketball, and I was on D1. I was trying to make the roster and this and that. So my last year, I finally was just like, ah, I want to get back out to the football. And then uh, I just went for it. I went back to uh, – started training and then went to a pro day, killed it, and then I ended up signing with the Minnesota Vikings. Now, in terms of your basketball playing, you, it's not just on the actual hardwood, but also the virtual hardwood from what we understand. Did you not win an NBA 2K tournament one year in Las Vegas while playing for a team coached by Isaiah Thomas? Yeah, I actually, yeah, I actually did. Um, that would actually help me get back to football because the money that I won from that tournament, like it was a $25,000 tournament if you won, um, I was able to, you know, not have to worry about working. I can just train and, and lock in on football and be co- fully committed without, you know, having to worry about a, a, a nine to five. So that completely helped me. When you look back, and we were just saying off the top there, Nick, it's hard, so crazy. It's been such a crazy, tumultuous year that it's in some ways hard to believe it's only been a year since that run to the Grey Cup and eventually win. What was the defining moment for you uh, a year ago? At first, just starting with that semifinal in Calgary, what stood out in that game that you think made the big difference there? Because I remember going into it, there was so much talk about how Winnipeg never wins in Calgary and all that sort of thing. And then yet there we were so dominant in that game. I believe the defining moment of that game was, um, I think, Mike Jones' interception. Because um, they had had they had momentum early. They I think they were winning like seven zip, and they were going in for another touchdown. And we're in Calgary; it's like zero degrees. It's it's really cold. And I just could, you know, get that feeling like, oh, here we go again. In Calgary, this team, just that darn Calgary team, can't get over the hump. 
they're just so tough. And then he made that interception, and then we were able to just hang in the game, and then all the momentum was shifted. And we were like, man, we could beat these guys. We really could beat those guys. Like, you have that feeling that you could beat those guys, and then you get out there and then things don't go as planned, and then you're like, oh. And then it starts going as planned. You're like, oh, well, it, it could happen. And I think that moment, that interception was the biggest play of the game. So that great cup ring, when you finally got it, what did your family and friends think of it? Oh, they thought it was amazing. It was just, it's just so beautiful. It's, it's shining, and it's, I mean, it's, it sucks that we didn't get to celebrate it up there with you all and with all the fans, but, uh, and it had to get sent through the mail, so at least for the American players, you know, some people that's up there got to pick those up, but, yeah, it was still amazing to just have it in your hands and the feeling of just all the memories that what you went through for it just came rushing back. So it was a great moment. I'm just curious because it's such a beautiful ring, but it is big. I've always wanted to know, is that something you wear like on a regular daily basis? Uh, no, because <laughs> last time I tried to, I tried to wear my championship, my Ottawa championship ring. I went out one night. And I was like, let me wear it one time. And then I do not remember what happened to it that night. I lost it. Oh. I, I say, I'll never take it out again. Uh, I just was fortunate that my friend actually had it. But sh- that person didn't tell me they had it for like a week or two. So I'm over there stressing and <laughs> losing my mind. I say, I'll never wear that out again. So mine's just in a nice, safe place, just sitting there. What would, happen if, if, what would happen if you were n- unable to recover that ring? Like, let's say it actually was lost. It was gone. Would, would you have been able to get another one? I believe there's some insurance policies that you could go through and I mean and then you deal with it with those people and they end up sending you another one. I believe I don't know the whole process of it, but I did not want to deal with it. So <laughs> it was good that I, I found it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad that you have it and I wanna thank you for the time today, Nick. It's so nice to look back and, and think about the times when we were smiling when there's so much to not be smiling about right now. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Nick Taylor, thank you so much for the time. Nick Taylor joining us live on 680 CJOB. Winnipeg Blue Bombers defensive back as we look back on the stretch run for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Once again, the semifinal win in Calgary was on November 10th last year. Western final victory in Saskatchewan November 17th. And then, of course, the one-year anniversary of the Grey Cup win is coming up. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is off today. We're going to cover a number of topics and very quickly go through a couple before we introduce our guest for this segment on the subject of masks and kids. But we also want to talk sick time. And another thing we're talking about this morning is, have you ever done something irresponsible? And this is based out of a story in Moose Jaw, where a young man is fundraising on GoFundMe to pay off a $2,800 fine that he got for hosting a huge party on Halloween. Gatherings in Saskatchewan can be no more than 15 people. He had way more than that by some accounts up to 250 people there. So he's got a $2,800 fine. So he's trying to raise money. Last check, he had raised $455. And we're asking you if you've ever done something irresponsible, whether you knew it or not. And this listener who said, no names, please, says, back in my younger days, my friend thought it would be a good idea to hop on a freight train to Kenora. So we waited in the grass beside the tracks and hopped aboard a moving freight train. The train picked up speed and was going too fast when I realized I was on the tracks 
<laughs> going to the States. Turns out someone saw me on the train and the RCMP and rail police stopped the train in Niverville. They caught me walking through a field into Niverville, but couldn't charge me because I wasn't caught on the train. Uh, I got a free ride home, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez, that's uh, that's fun. Thank you for sharing. Obviously, completely irresponsible. Don't do that. Entirely unsafe. But we appreciate the picture that you just painted for us there, unnamed listener. And we also got some feedback, Loren, uh, on the discussion on sick time. Yeah, and I'm looking for some clarification here because um, we know that Dr. Brent Rusin is asking Manitobans that if they're not feeling well or someone in their house isn't feeling well, to not just stay home if you're not. If you're showing symptoms of COVID, but if someone in your household is showing symptoms of COVID, they're asking that you stay home uh, so that you can they can better manage this and kind of help control the spread. And that had people asking about, well, how do I stay home if my job won't pay me to stay home, if I don't have sick days? You know, how do I deal with this? And so we're trying to figure out now, I do know that some COVID-19 benefits were introduced by the federal government, including a sick leave plan. What I'm now trying to figure out is, has that kicked in yet? And can you apply for it if you're someone uh, who's not just a federal government worker, but else uh, working in another position? Because that's going to be a big part of the equation. If people might not have any problems staying home, the question is, are they going to be paid to stay home? All right. So you can weigh in with your feedback, 204-780-6868. And now we want to ask the question, could the mask rule be changing in some Winnipeg schools? Yeah, and we're asking that because... Emails went out to some parents in schools within the Louis Riel School Division last night indicating that they're ramping up their ask on masks. So right now, the provincial policy is that masks are required for anyone in grades four and up, so grades four to grade 12. But an email that was sent out by Sage Creek, for example, it read like this. With higher case counts in Winnipeg, we'd like to ask all students and staff to wear masks throughout the entire day. So again, that would include kindergarten kids. And an email from College Bellavo is asking at 7 to 12 to also wear them during all activities, including phys ed. So there appears to be some changes afoot within that division. And for more, we're joined by Christian Michalik, who is the superintendent of the Louis Riel School Division. Good morning, Christian. Good morning. So is this a division-wide policy or is this up to schools to decide how they want to make this change? <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um We've been talking as a staff for some time now about um, all the measures. Um, well, we've been talking about all the measures all through the fall. Um, and one of those measures that mitigate risk is mask wearing. And, um, um, you know, there's a growing sentiment that um, we should be more vigilant as a community around this measure as, as one of the many measures that mitigates risk. And so we're talking. And uh, that's what those emails were about. Uh, it's about these local leaders of school communities, principals, reaching out to families to talk and build a collective agreement uh, around mask wearing. Uh, as, again, just one of many measures, right? You, the, the, there, are, there are many important measures. Is it, in terms of the kindergarten kids wearing the masks, uh, what is the likelihood that they'll be able to stick to that? Well, if that's being uh, talked about, it's that um, in my conversations with staff um, and of late, I can't be in classrooms to witness it, but I was earlier on. And um, it's, uh, it's, you know, from the beginning in, in some classrooms, uh, kids, K, one, two, three, uh, where were coming in wearing masks 
and um, and so we know developmentally, uh, children, uh, the children, the students in our schools, uh, from kindergarten through to grade twelve, uh, can actually um, learn to wear masks when appropriate and and in ways that are appropriate, and uh, we we have evidence of that already. So just to be clear then, Christian, is this going to be a suggestion for all schools within the Louis Riel School Division? It's recommended that you'd like to see masks from grade kindergarten up, or is there going to be an actual policy change where it'll be a mandate? Yeah. No, you know, it's not going to be a mandate. It really has to be about building collective consensus. And um, because even with... um, this this mandate, if you will, uh, grades four to twelve, uh, we continue to be in dialogue with some that are resistant about the wearing of masks, and so uh, even when you have policies, even when you have laws, people don't necessarily follow them. So we, it's it really is about an ongoing dialogue as a community about this pandemic. We need to navigate together and um, the ways we can um, mitigate risk. You say that there's been some pushback from people on wearing masks. Is that coming from parents? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and again, not a surprise and not a big pushback. So I don't want to uh, exaggerate this at all. But we we have a handful of parents uh, that have uh, expressed express the contrary opinion and uh, for and a contrary opinion in, in a variety of ways so it really is uh, again it really is about never letting up on the dialogue and um, working things to get working on things together working through things together I know that there were some concerns in some divisions, Christian, and before I let you go, uh, you were one of the ones that was exemplary in this. You were able to find space within all your schools to allow for that two meters of distancing, which was the ask and now the requirement in all schools. And so I'm curious if that distancing is being achieved, why the shift towards more mask use? Well, because we're learning actually uh, through um, our 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 our, if you will, our relationship with the virus that, um, um, as you know, we've, we've had exposures in schools across the province, including LRSD. And as we work through each and every one of those exposures to the virus that we've become aware of uh, through public health, as we work through that with doctors, we're learning that um, uh, we're learning that even outdoors when kids are outdoors at recess playing on a play structure um the question is being asked of us you know were the kids wearing masks uh were they in close proximity and so all of this experience we're gathering uh, has to lead to learning and and uh, better understandings and and what we're what our understanding right now in this ongoing relationship we have with public health is that um Again, the more we can do in terms of measures to mitigate risk, uh, the better. And, and, and so this is what it's all about, is um, uh, the wearing of a mask can, can help uh, add additional um, risk mitigation. But what it can't do, so what, what's really important, though, is um, the wearing of masks cannot have us 
in any way not be vigilant about the two meters of distancing we have created from the very beginning in each of our schools for all students and staff. So that absolutely indoors is a very, very fundamental uh, risk mitigation strategy that has to be, uh, we have to be vigilant about and the wearing of masks can't have us not ensuring that when we can, we keep two meters of distance. Christian Michalik is the superintendent of Louis Riel School Division, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Christian, thank you for the time as always, sir. Thank you. Global News election special starting on 680 CJOB at 6 p.m. And that will run through the evening because there is... Of course, something big happening in the United States. The election, presidential election, and our question of the day at cjob.com is, who do you think will be the next president of the United States? That question of the day, by the way, is brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. You can answer that question at cjob.com, on Twitter at 680CJOB, or on our Instagram story at 680CJOB. would love for you to follow us there, Loren. Yeah, and I think there's all sorts of reasons why people are are watching what happens down there today. There might just be the pure interest, the pure spectacle of it. You might have your own questions. You might have your own excitement or concerns. And then, of course, there's the business side of things, Brett. We do so much trade with the U.S., and so lots of people have different opinions on who might be better for the economy of Canada or security for Canada. And then there's just the people who are from Canada or spent time in Canada who are now in the States. And that brings us to our next guest. His name is Rick, Rick Boland. He is in Winter Park, Colorado, which is just outside Denver, as I understand it. And Rick, before we get into election talk, you've spent time... Tell me a bit about your background in Winnipeg. St. James boy? I am indeed. I went to uh, Silver Heights, a a course of high school that is no longer there. Um, Grew up uh, in St. James on Red Robin, along with some of the other, uh, I guess I wouldn't count myself as amongst the famous Winnipeggers, but I grew up beside the famous Winnipeggers like James Patrick and Stephen Patrick and Bob Joyce. So uh, it was, I just loved growing up there. So I have fond, fond, fond memories of Winnipeg. So now you're in the States. Sorry, Brett, I just was curious, how many years have you been in the States now? What took you there? Well, I left Canada in 89. I started college in 91, and I've lived here mostly since then. I made a stop at NATO headquarters in Brussels for a little while, and I also spent three and a half years living in Northern Ireland. Um, But I came down here. I met a girl. I got married, started a family. I started my career and kind of settled in. And and despite the fact the marriage didn't make it, the kids are doing great. So... (laughs) Well, that's great. Uh, I mean, and you've been all over the place. I mean, you also uh, published a book, Addiction Emergency Response Plan, and we'll ask you more about that in a moment. But uh, we spoke to, I mean, you're a friend of Greg's. We spoke to another one, a friend of Greg's earlier, who mentioned that he's feeling anxiety towards today. He described it as mild anxiety. Uh, are you feeling similar anxiety? Oh, I think everyone is. I think that in all of the big cities <clears throat> across the states, uh, there's a general feeling like tonight might be a very rough night. I know that uh, um, my friends' girls in Boston are are experiencing uh, everyone boarding up shop and getting ready for civil unrest tonight. Um, Denver will definitely be on high alert. Um, it's just it's a tough situation. It's uh, we've polarized as a nation like never before. Um, not really since the since the Civil War, and. 
tonight might be very tough. You said Denver would be on high alert. Tell us what the picture and the sort of lay of the land is there when it comes to how your state might go. Because I know, and you're perhaps familiar with this, in Manitoba on a federal landscape, you know, you want to think your vote counts, but often we often say here, by the time we get through Ontario and Quebec, sometimes the election is decided by the time you get to Manitoba's numbers. So what's what's the picture in Colorado when it comes to the votes there and why there might be that concern for unrest even in your neck of the woods, Rick? Yeah, I think absolutely that um, being, you know, west of the Mississippi, whether you're in Manitoba or you're in Colorado, the polls close later here. Um, we don't have the populations uh, in the west that you have in the east, uh, no different than, than the situation in Canada. Um, obviously, uh, California, uh, much like British Columbia, is a heavyweight, but by the time you get there, uh, it's often, as you suggested, already decided. I don't think that's going to be the case tonight because... Each state sets its own voting rules. And so whether you're allowed to vote absentee ballot or whether you're allowed to vote by mail-in ballot, um, those rules change state to state. And then when states are allowed to count those ballots change from state to state. So here in Colorado, several years ago, the rule was implemented that we would only have uh, mail-in ballots. So every voter is sent their ballot in the mail three weeks prior to the election, and you can return it whenever you like. If you want to wait until today to return it, you can go to what looks like a traditional polling station, but your ballot needs to be filled in before you get there, and you just drop it off. But our ballots are counted as soon as they're received. So as soon as the polls close here, about one minute after polls close, they announce all of those numbers from the early voting. And pretty much uh, the election will be decided, both the presidential race here um, we also have a governor's race going on um, here. We are, sorry, a U.S. Senate race going on here. So we're going to see uh, some major uh, races at the top of the ticket drawing voters out. And those, those large number of voters are going to have an impact on, on, the, on the down ballot races. You mentioned that the, the country is, is divided, that it's uh, you know, polarized. There's something in Utah that we wanted to, to just run past you. It's opposing candidates in Utah's gubernatorial race, and they released ads yesterday or this week that are uh, as shocking as they are heartwarming. Republican Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox and law professor Chris Peterson, a Democrat, they appear side by side calling for civility among voters. Here's that 30-second ad. Nope. <laughs> you know what? It helps if I have my computer turned on. Sorry, man. Let's try that again. <laughs> Here we go. I'm Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. We are currently in the final days of campaigning against each other to be your next governor. And while I think you should vote for me. Yeah, but really you should vote for me. There are some things we both agree on. We can debate issues without degrading each other's character. We can disagree without hating each other. And win or lose in Utah, we work together. So let's show the country that there's a better way. My name's Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. And we We approve approve this message. Do you wish that you saw more of that in your country? Oh, that is a that is a tremendous ad. Utah uh, culturally is a very special place. I think everyone in Canada is probably aware of that. Um, I suspect that those two share connections outside of politics uh, that bring them uh, closer together and, and require them to look at the big picture, which I think is fantastic. Because, you know, I, I think 
if you're sitting in Canada and you're looking down on the States today, you might ask yourself, I mean, how did this happen, right? How does how is it that the United States looks more like Germany in 1933 or 1937 than it looks like the shining, you know, city on the hill that Ronald Reagan encouraged us to become, right? And Donald Trump didn't create this situation, right? I mean, he, he is leveraging this situation. He has exploited this situation. But in a, in a really thoughtful piece, uh, this week, Peggy Noonan, who was one of Ronald Reagan's speechwriters, reminded us, right, that it was it was the party's collusion to avoid doing the hard stuff, right? Democrats and Republicans kind of winked at each other and said, hey, let's not talk about the national debt. That stuff's embarrassing. Let's not address the, immig- the immigration issue. That's hard. Let's just stumble carelessly into war. And, you know, the voters have got to pick one of us. So as long as neither of us criticize each other over this stuff, we should be okay. And this idea that somehow government was going to remove terror from your life. I mean, the, 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 it's just ridiculous to believe that government can solve the problem of anxiety. I mean, we all get anxious. Um, and Donald Trump rode in on that wave of people's frustration that government wasn't doing the things that we expected them to take care of. What no one anticipated, and this is not a criticism of Donald Trump. This is just you know, when you when you invite a TV celebrity into the White House, what you get is overblown, right? No one anticipated that Donald Trump was going to turn his attack not just on the people that had participated in that collusion, but he, that he would turn his attack on the institutions that were behind that collusion. So Donald Trump came in not only mocking other politicians and giving them nicknames and driving them, even people from the Republican Party, like Senator Jeff Flake in Arizona, driving them out of politics, he attacked the very institutions that are the pillar of democracy. He attacked the State Department. He attacked the Department of Justice. He attacked the intelligence community. And no one, maybe someone, but very few people saw that coming. I mean, his attacks were so extreme that he really was corroding the very foundation of what democracy depends on. And then when he turned it up another notch and started to undermine the norms that we rely on, I mean, that that Utah ad, what it reminds us of is the fact that there are norms of decency, respect, civility, and faith that exist outside of politics. And if you are willing to, to ignore the norm of decency... And when 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 Senator or when Senator McCain died and President Trump said, you know, he's a loser, I'm not going to lower the flag for that guy. I mean, that attack on decency was just unbelievable Um, respect when he comes out and says that there were good people on both sides of the demonstrations in Virginia shortly after he became president. When some of those people were neo-Nazis, that is not okay, Right. And so. Donald Trump comes into office on the back of this general frustration that the people in government weren't doing their jobs. And he ramps it up to, hey, it's not just the people, it's the very institutions and it's the norms that we rely on. All of that needs to be, you know, thrown under the bus. And it's left us, you know, in a really precarious position, right? How do you maintain you know, legal equality, political freedom, and the rule of law, the foundations of democracy, when you're not willing to be decent or respectful or civil. And so I think that ad that you played from Utah, and I think that most people in Canada know that Utah is primarily, uh, um, the culture of Utah is, is determined 
by their shared faith in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So uh, being Mormons, they have something besides politics that brings them together. And so it's just incredible. Sorry, that was a really long spiel. Well, it's a, it, you know what? It's been a long four years, depending on where you're sitting on this one, Rick. And so I appreciate oh, that yeah. the, the, the context is important. And then there's, you know, as you know, there are going to be people that say, good, he needed to expose what they might consider the flaws and the harsh truths and all, all the rest in various systems. And so we know it's div- divisive. We know you're in for a long haul. Before we let you go, we just have to ask about your book because, hey, you are a former Winnipegger. And why not read something written by a former Winnipegger, which is Addiction Emergency Response Plan? That's your book. Uh, what's it about? Listen, first of all, you and I are going to have an argument on the air. You are never a former Winnipegger. <laughs> I'm a Winnipegger living in Colorado. And I, okay. I, demand, I demand an apology Retraction. for that. I, I will retract. Oh. Rick, as a Winnipegger living in Colorado, give us a, a, a version of your book that we can go, where can we find it and what's it about? Absolutely. Thank you for that apology. I greatly appreciate it. <laughs> I'm going to have a little levity here on Election Day. Everything else is so darn serious. Listen, I wrote a book called Addiction Emergency Response Plan because I ran a drug and alcohol rehabilitation clinic. But when I faced a crisis at home and I turned to find the resource that I could rely on, helping my own child uh, through a struggle with online gaming and gambling, I couldn't find it. So I wrote the book that I wanted Uh, It's different than everything else out there because it focuses on connection. It's designed for two people to work through together. The original language of the book was parent and child, but I expanded that to ally and partner. Uh, It's super easy to read. Uh, It's packed with uh, try this exercises, and it provides 30 days of journaling prompts in the back of the book. Um, So it really gets you into the rhythm of recovery. You read in the morning, do your exercises midday, you have a meeting, with whomever you're working with uh, early evening, and then at night you do your journaling exercises. Um, listen, Manitoba is facing the same crisis that we are here in Colorado. Uh, I know the Liquor Commission announced earlier this year that they've had record sales with COVID, the economy, racial injustice, and of course this U.S. election. Everyone is feeling it everywhere. And here in Colorado, our accidental fatal overdoses have doubled this year over last year. And um, everyone is feeling that pain. So I wrote the book. It's actually not going to be available until November the 19th. But for any of your listeners who are struggling uh, with a substance use disorder or who have a family member who are struggling with a substance use disorder or counterproductive behaviors, um, I would just encourage you to go to the website, addictionerp.com. So, of course, the book is called Addiction Emergency Response Plan. The website is addictionerp.com. If you go to contact us, I will send you an excerpt of the book that will get you started. Um, I'm happy to provide that to your listeners who are struggling with this. And I just hope that for everyone uh, in Winnipeg tonight, that they, um, if they're struggling with these things in their family or if they have a friend or if, if anyone that, they're, um, that they're, they're, um, uh, they're caring about is struggling, I hope that they'll reach out, grab a free copy of this uh, or a free excerpt of the book, um, try to get started and see if you can help people through Rick Bolin in Winter Park, Colorado, just outside Denver, joining us live on Election Day. Rick, thank you so much for this. This has been great. Thank you. Have a great day, you guys. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.